politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, and all that matters here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here for Friday, and it's a little bit of a short week. So we have so much to clear the docket. I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a free-for-all Friday, go to vaccine stuff, medical freedom, legislative agendas, you know, congressional budget fight, presidential campaign, crime, anarcho-tyranny, you name it. We'll try to cover all of it in just under an hour here. So let's dive right into it. What is our plan? What's our plan on the right? For anything, frankly. As I've said before, if we actually had leaders instead of celebrities, and what I mean is, you know, when you have any last person that at some point has their moment that says something we agree with, does something we agree with, memes something we agree with, exposes something we agree with, suddenly they're, you know, the Bill Buckley of the generation. (laughs) But they're kind of not. And, And therein lies the problem. We don't have leaders. If we did, like I said... A, we would elect Ron DeSantis, but that's not even the point. We would focus on all the 20 Republican supermajority states' legislative session, get done the top 10 things we want in each state, change the country overnight. Two, we would focus on the -the down-the-ballot primaries. We complain about all these Republicans, rhinos, and yet they're all getting renominated right in front of our eyes. And then, of course, three is there would be enormous pressure on Speaker Mike Johnson and every House Republican would know that if you want to get renominated, because remember, the the budget fight is coinciding with primary season, if you want to get renominated, you will have a budget fight and give us something transformational on at least immigration, if not the budget and a couple other issues, weaponization, whatever it is. But they don't have any intention of doing that. You know why? I can't blame them. They don't feel the pressure because it's all focused on ah that they like better Trump, and not like just Trump as opposed to DeSantis, but with the exclusion of the three other stratagems I just mentioned. It's just all that all the time, and nobody is game theorizing what that means. How exactly? You win. I mean, even if you have a sane Republican running, it's hard, it's hard enough to get through that juggernaut of mail-in ballot infrastructure that, by the way, was created because of Trump. But then let's say by some miracle, some crazy thing happens, and you just, by the skin of your teeth, get Trump in. It would be, be careful what you wish for. It would be the worst of all worlds. He'd have no mandate. He'd be a lame duck from day one. It would have only been because of that anomaly, the hatred against anything on the right and the backlash will occur swiftly within two months. The guy's public image and statements and ability to connect with people ain't going to get better as he turns 80, 81, 82. And so we're going to get crushed in the future elections. And what is he going to do? He doesn't listen to us. And the left is going to induce even more catalyzing events 
and he's going to feel the pressure to give in. You know, DeSantis had a, had a town hall last night. Go watch all of it and ask yourself, when have you ever had a candidate that gave forth such knowledge, such authenticity and seriousness and selflessness and has a record at a top level governing platform to back that up? Name me who else is on the horizon. But it, it's not good enough. But anyway, one of the points he made is that, um, you know, Rick Scott, the stupid loser, who, by the way, is backing Trump, was governor of Florida during the Parkland attack. And you had this lynch mob. Oh, my gosh, the kid's getting murdered. We need gun control. And he passed red flag laws. And DeSantis is like, look, you know, I have a record of standing up at a time when the public is very scared about something and it's not politically easy to do. You know Trump would do the same thing. He literally said, take the guns first, due process later. He panics. He will do that. It's just retarded watching people like this. It's so funny. People that, um, you know, their political vantage point is yesterday. They don't know anything before that. And they forget that so much of what we are facing was catalyzed under Trump. Why? Because Trump taunted the left as if he would destroy them. So they responded accordingly. And they motivated themselves. They activated themselves. And they mobilized on every front. Oh my gosh, you know, he's talking smack about illegal aliens. And they mobilized with with caravans and with sanctuary cities. So then you have to have a response to that. If you don't, then you wind up being worse off than you were before. And that's what it was. People forget that the caravans began under Trump. You go back to, uh, you know, dating back to 2008. It's 400,000 apprehensions a year, 450, 370, around then. And then in 2019, it was over 800,000. Yeah, now then Biden went to over a million, then over 2 million, and probably this year will be over 3 million. But the point is, it doubled. And let's not forget, it only went back down to 400,000 in 2020 because COVID. If not for COVID, it would have been over a million. It was not getting stopped. Remember, I covered, I covered the border invasion under Trump when we started with this public mass challenging of a border. You know, not not just that kind of the quiet jumping the fences that took place since the 70s, 80s, 90s, but this mass weaponization of this hybrid attack of NGOs and the cartels and even the Mexican government boldly saying we're going to invade your country, that began under Trump. I covered it for 18 months with the same degree of focus I did COVID. Those of you who were with me back then remember that. And you talk to the average like sycophant that makes a lot more money than me doing this, they don't even remember it existed. It's so bizarre. Dumb as mud. But that's the problem. We need leaders, not celebrities. We just glum on to the latest name. Let me give you an example. Elon Musk. He's become a big hero on the right. Now, to be clear, it's in order to 
win and be successful, you need to grab in converts, semi-converts, people who agree on a few issues. But you don't make them your leaders and throw yourselves in front of them. You have to have an ideological core run by your leaders. That's what the left has. So Elon was like, he put something out on Twitter. Uh, Yeah, you know, this thing at the border has got to stop. But, you know, we really need to you know, streamline legal immigration, which which means he means an unlimited amount. We don't let in enough people. And then Nikki Haley, of course, uh, echoed that last night, saying we need to abolish all caps. And it's like, what planet are you from? They're like, yeah, the system is broken. I don't like the way they're coming, but it's because you can't get in legally. That's not why. What, so suddenly they come from 150 countries? No, it's because it's an organized invasion. Our government working with NGOs around the world to do it. It has nothing to do with the legal immigration system. And we started having illegal immigration in this country. By the way, we didn't have much illegal immigration during the first half of the 20th century. It started after um, after the 1965 bill. You know, I mean, you always had a little bit here and there, but in earnest, it started after we started bringing in so many Latinos um, legally. So, you know, these people wanted to come because we started to create many, you know, Tex-Mex cultures. And you know, that's what always draws people when you can have a better economic future in America, albeit keep your culture. And it grew exponentially from there. We have 60 million immigrants in this country, not including the anchor babies who should be, you know, really considered that. And and those that maybe were born in America, but but to recent arrivals that really have not shed their culture, unlike, you know, in, in past generations of immigration. And somehow that's not enough. They're trying to replace us. I have an amazing labor statistic I want to get to. So maybe we'll jump to economy here, and very appropriately, as we discuss economy and inflation. Right now, tax season is upon us. A lot of people like myself, you wind up owing six, seven, eight thousand dollars and rather than giving it to the government, what you can do is you put it into an IRA. Now, where are you going to put it? In the stock market, it's an all-time high. If you would have listened to me and texted Daniel to 989898 to claim your free info kit, on in putting your converting your IRA or 401k to gold or silver with birch gold, you would have made a ton of money. Um, <laughs> you look ahead at the economy, where it's headed, it would never be, there's never a better hedge. And I know gold itself is near an all-time high, but you know when you're talking about an IRA, you're talking about long-term investments here, and there's nothing better than that. Um, ultimately, the way to weaken the system is to go... Go with gold. So again, text Daniel to 989898 today with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Thousands of satisfied customers you can trust. Birch Gold. Do not trust the Federal Reserve. Text Daniel to 989898 today to claim your free info kit. And and again, you know, one of the things we're going to be pushing is we, we do have bills in most red state legislatures to make gold and silver legal tender. I really think that is one of the force multipliers to collapsing the system in a way that will, you know, A, make our, you know, facilitate national divorce, but in a way that will strengthen our hand and weaken the system. That is their monopoly over us. 
And by the way, just speaking of where the economy is headed, um, unbelievable. So where is this? Payroll. So we have the Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers for December. And it pain- so it's hard to know what you could take from it because the numbers are so off kilter. They're just utterly insane. They're like the Pfizer, uh, I was going to say criminal trial data, uh, clinical trial data, but it is a criminal trial data. Uh, it, it's unreliable, but to the extent that it is, it paints a picture that our country is screwed, that we're actually shedding jobs of, of real substance, and the only jobs that are being created are part-time multiple jobs for people who can't even afford the cost of living with one job um, because it's so bad. And then to the extent legitimate jobs are being created, they're all government jobs. They're all government jobs. So you go here. On the one hand, they claim that payroll is up 216,000, which beat expectations by something like 42,000, I want to say. So, oh, you know, better than expected, a hotter report. Good stuff, right? Well, as always, the prior months were revised downward. <laughs> what a joke. So that means that this one will be too, and it's just a joke. So the preliminary, you know, when I give you a preliminary, you know, hot thing by 42,000, but then the October, November numbers were revised down by 77,000. So it is actually a net loss. But then moreover, this is where the numbers are screwy. So the, 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 um, Establishment survey shows that 216,000 jobs were created, but the household census survey shows that there are 683,000 fewer people employed this month than the previous month. But then it goes bonkers. You look at table A9 and you'll see that there was a 1.7 million drop in full-time workers, the largest single-month drop since 1994. Utterly insane but a 700,000 rise in part-time jobs plus a rise in multiple job holders and multiple job holders hit 8.565 million, a record high. You put that together to the extent you could even glean anything from it, which I don't know if you can um, because the numbers are just screwed up and fabricated. That shows that the economy is crashing and burning. The job market is, is going to hell in a handbasket. And... To the extent there's jobs, it's people just forcing themselves to take jobs that are likely, you know, per hour pay cut, but they just need to bolster their total income to just afford to live. And at the same time, there's two other statistics I want to give you that are phenomenal. Government added 56,000 jobs on average per month every single month. This last month is 42, but if you average it out, it's 56,000, more than double the average monthly gain of 23,000 in 2022. So I, I want you guys to understand, that means that the year that Republicans took over the House the average annual growth of government jobs doubled. 
The entirety of legitimate full-time job growth in this country is coming from the government. It's not just inverted and perverted that you have a weaker private sector paying for this insanity, but it's the creation of the Fourth Reich. It's not just wasteful. It's this is the stuff that's destroying. It's not just wasteful. You know what I'm saying? Like If I would create jobs for federal workers to study the sex lives of a rare form of cockroach, we'd be better off because that's just wasteful. No, I mean, in HUD, in EPA, in DOJ, in DHS, they are designed to, A, they empower the Democrat electorate. They persecute us, destroy our economy, create dependency, create artificial monopolies for their uh, patrons. And that's what it is. Washington Post has a story out last month that the federal workforce will receive pay raises averaging 5.2%. I haven't gotten a pay raise in eight years. 5.2%. Um, and more in some high salary areas. For the close to, to, to 2.2 million people in the federal workforce. It's, it's, it's disgusting. Utterly disgusting. This is what Republicans should be standing up towards. Federal workers, you know, with the exception of a few people, they're against you anyway. So it is a winning issue to play this against most people who have private sector jobs. That's what Republicans should be demanding to cut. But instead, they're like beating around the bushes. So Mike Johnson's negotiating a spending deal in, in the wrong way. He's focusing on, you know, rescissions of unspent accounts. So, so basically, let me just give you an update on what's going on. There's no inkling he's going to have a shutdown fight over the border. And then even on the spending, it's small potatoes. So basically, what happens is pursuant, the only like one silver lining of the debt ceiling thing was Thomas Massey's provision, which is why he supported it. But I here's why I think he was wrong. I mean, he personally had good intentions, but GOP leadership was never going to do the right thing with it. So if if they fail to pass new spending bills, meaning they just pass an, a new CR for the rest of the year, it, it so normally a CR means you lock in the current levels. It will lock in the current levels minus 1%. So across the board, 1% in cuts. Now, A, that's not enough. And B, so, so Massey's point was that will get us to leverage them. Well, you better do what we want because otherwise you'll face anyway 1% across the board cut. So you may as well negotiate with us to cut it where we want, give us maybe what we want on certain policies, and then maybe we can negotiate. So it's other words like we'll demand more, otherwise you get the 1%. What Mike Johnson is doing is, oh my gosh, we don't want a government shutdown. We don't want 1%, even that. So Let's work with us to have some rescissions on unspent funding. So it's this old game of money that wasn't going to be spent anyway. Well, if it's not going to be spent anyway, then just cut it. Like, like that, that's not a victory. So it's unspent COVID funds and then like to accelerate the IRS cuts. But again, the, the IRS was a joke. It's part of the Green Energy New Deal bill that they Orwellianly name the Inflation Reduction Act. They they grew the... the IRS by 80,000 jobs. And, and and even if you want to be an IRS fascist, that was never realistic. It was it was it was a brilliant tactic that the left did. It was you couldn't even find enough people with accounting degrees to do that, even with foreign workers. Okay? 
Um, so they'll negotiate down a certain level. I mean, you take the existing record high IRS size and grow it by 10,000 workers. That's insane. So that's what Republicans and Mike Johnson are basically working on from what I hear. And by the way, one other thing on the economy related to this, related to this. This is from Zero Hedge. So I have not independently confirmed this data, but I trust him. There has been, if you look back to July 2018 into Trump's administration, there has been zero, essentially close to zero, growth in jobs for native-born workers. The entirety of job growth has been among foreign workers. That is unbelievable. It's about, if you look at it, it's about 12% among, you know, 12% growth for foreign workers. That is replacement. That is not natural. And that's why you look in every field now. It's like, it's not America anymore. And yet you have Elon Musk and Nikki Haley, and frankly, most Republicans, they think we don't have enough foreign workers. What, what planet do you live on? That's straight up replacement. Straight up replacement. It, see, people didn't see it until now, but if you juxtapose it and look at what's going on at the border and how that's orchestrated, you can't view the legal system as, oh, well, that's that's pure as the wind-driven snow. It comes from the same thing. Doesn't matter what modality you bring them in. DeSantis said that on my show in December when I brought him on. He was like, it doesn't matter. Mass migration is wrong, however you do that. And he will actually get it done, unlike the man that uh, promised and then had Mick Mulvaney and um, Stephen Mnuchin that were bringing in more. I have a bunch of articles. Just Google Daniel Horowitz, Mulvaney, um, H-1B visas, and you'll see. It was an Orwellian presidency. But metatomp. Metatomp. Okay, let's move on to the next thing. Again, we'll just do a little bit of a free-for-all Friday here. So we're going to focus very heavily on identifying the best ideas and bills in red state legislatures. So there's no excuse. Well, we have a slim majority. We don't have the Senate. Okay, you have the governor, you have the House, you have the Senate, and you have it with super majorities. Okay? By the way, interestingly enough, a funny story for you as we get into some of the, the vaccine stuff. Um. New Hampshire is a place where, thanks to Trump being an albatross, and he really is in New Hampshire, uh, at the top of the ballot, Republicans were gunning for super majorities, but instead they almost lost their simple majorities. And they have basically a one-seat, non-workable majority in the United in, in the New Hampshire House. So I was told by a friend of mine who just left the legislature that uh, Republicans seem to be passing a number of good bills there. They had a very good week. Uh, I, I know they passed the Save the Guard bill, which basically protects, says that, hey, we're not going to allow the feds to commandeer our state guard to just be sent overseas on some sort of mission without a declaration of war. And she noted that the reason they were able to steamroll the Dems is because a bunch of Democrats are out. They're sick with COVID because they won't stop getting the COVID shots, so they're sick. So this might be a little bit of a, you know, 
counterpoint to the point I'm about to make the need to take the shots off the market because maybe we should leave them on the market for that. Um, it's something to watch for as all the Democrats continue to get sick in these legislative bodies and uh, and they'll be out there. So, you know, with with Republicans at a federal level with a slim majority, uh, just know that all these Democrats, they might be out sick. I mean, I see it. I see it. I know in, in where I live, they're just always sick. And, you know, we have millions of studies that that now un- prove the mechanism of action. But, okay, you know, I'm not going to spend as much time as we did last year. We have a lot of other issues and we got to move on. But the bottom line is we have not solved the COVID issue. Okay, we have not solved the experimentation state of the government's ability, liability-free to market, fund, expose you know, basically get the entire medical community to, to, if not a hard mandate, but certainly a soft mandate. Um, we haven't even ended the mandates in most red states. Most red states still, the hospitals are forcing it on the, uh, on you know, organ transplant patients. A lot of uh, nursing schools, uh, medical schools, even in red states, blue states are bringing back masking in hospitals. And even in the red states that they're not quite doing it, but I would suspect some private hospitals are doing it every winter. Um, it's certainly not banned in law in most red states. So, you know, you might think, oh, uh, we already banned mandates. Not in hospitals. Not in hospitals. That needs to be added. Florida did that. I don't know any other state that has that. Can you imagine that? Despite everything we know about masking, negative efficacy, they still, they're still doing that. Still doing it. Or still can do it. Even the lockdowns that are universally derided a day late, a dollar short by pretty much all Republicans, most states have not completely denuded those powers to this day. And by the way, the Supreme Court in December refused to take up appeals even on the federal mandates. They said, oh, it's moot. It's moot. I love Republican judges. So when it matters, when we were dying and lives were destroyed and people killed and jobs destroyed, they weren't there for us. And then now it's suddenly, well, it's moot because the federal government denied, you know, you know, rescinded it. What a bunch of bull. So now we have to start from the from square one the next time they bring it up. The same thing they do on election law, by the way. Oh, it's moot now. The Democrats already stole the election. Yeah, but you wouldn't take it up during the election. As, as Alito noted in the in the Pennsylvania case. So anyway, we we're not we're not done even with emergency powers, masking, you know, the old stuff and the mandates, much less having Republican uh, state departments of health pushing back against the vaccines and asking questions about them. Because again, you know, you gotta be stupid to get it, but there are a lot of vulnerable seniors that are still being convinced to get it. You have pregnant women that are being convinced to get it. You have people that have newborn babies that never got the shot and they feel like, oh, and, and they're going to convince them you don't have natural immunity to COVID. So then, you know, that's what they're going to do. So this is a pro-life issue. And then, of course, is the RSV shots and the 50 million other ones down the pipeline and some of the existing ones that need to be looked into. So Joseph Latipo, Florida Surgeon General demanded that the shots be taken off the market. So I decided to do some research to look around to see what the other red states are doing. And while the Florida health director is demanding they be taken off the market, I can't even find another health director 
casting aspersions on the shots in any way, at least saying, don't get it for kids. Any cohort. They're still recommending it for everyone. Some more obnoxiously than others. But, you know, I haven't looked at all the states, and you could you could look it up for your state. And it's uh, this is something that Freedom Caucuses and the conservatives and the legislatures need to be doing. How is a Republican health department promoting it's not even a light version. It's the full California. It's the full Fauci. It's the full, you know, Collins, Mandy Cohen, the new CDC jerk. It's unbelievable. This is what we have in red states because we're not focused. We're focused on celebrities, not leadership. If we had leadership, we'd be able to get this wiped off their websites in three seconds. Arkansas Department of Health. There's barely any Democrats left in the Arkansas legislature. There's like they're they're down to single digits in the in the Senate there. Yet, and 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 again, we're told that Sarah Huckabee Sanders is, you know, and and she probably is second tier behind DeSantis. Hired a couple of DeSantis alumni, you know, education department, but the health department. I'm just going to tell you, you go to the Arkansas Department of Health website. Everyone age five years and older should get one dose of the updated Pfizer, BioNTech, or Moderna COVID-19 vaccine to protect against serious illness. Alaska takes it a step further. Republican Governor Dunleavy, I don't know who the health director is, quote, protect yourself and your community by staying up to date with your vaccines. COVID-19 vaccines are recommended for everyone's six months and older. They're not even on to like the old version. Yeah, you know, unless you're a senior, you shouldn't get it. Obviously, for seniors, it's it's even more deadly. Nobody should get it. Nobody, no, nobody should have ever gotten it. But they're not even on to that. They're still three years behind. I, I found the same things recommended for either six months old or five months and up or five years and up in Indiana, Wyoming, Oklahoma, Iowa, Missouri, West Virginia, and Idaho. There might be more, but that's kind of what I had time to look into. I had some friends that, that did this for me as well, so I just collated this. I thought Tennessee was a little better. I thought they had got a better health director. They have a page, updated COVID-19 vaccine information. So this is not like some sort of like, you know, old landing page from 2021. Maybe they just forgot to scrub it. This is updated as of the last month. Should I get an updated COVID-19 vaccine? A Q&A. Answer, Yes. These vaccines protect against COVID-19 variants currently circulating during the 2023-2024 respiratory virus season. Everyone six months and older should get a COVID-19 vaccine. Six months. May God have mercy. South Carolina. Oh, Henry McMaster loves himself some Trump, and Trump loves Henry McMaster. I mean, that state is just what they produce. With Lindsey Grahamisty and Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, and then these two other congressmen now that are, you know, two literally two sitting congressmen that that have committed adultery. Like, well, what what the hell heck is going on there? I don't know. You go to their website, and they take it the next level. They actually admit to reviewing the safety data, so kind of like admit that there's something to look on there, but but. Having reviewed the available data and side effect profiles for the updated updated COVID-19 vaccines, and they write 2023-2024. So this is new. DHEC recommends 
that all eligible people six months of age and older receive this important updated vaccine. Although the vaccine may not provide 100% protection against infection, it is likely to present the, prevent the most harmful outcomes. So they literally, they, they, they so lie that, like, you would say, the, the, I mean, even the FDA doesn't say this anymore, CDC. They're on to like, yeah, 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 they're not even trying to say it prevents infection, but they lie about the serious illness. They're like, it might not prevent 100% of infection. It's like nothing matters. Dude, the, on on the vaccines, Sands, Florida, there is zero difference. Like even even um even Missouri had like a little bit softer language. They had it, and even Texas. So kudos to Ken Paxton for his lawsuit against Pfizer on fraud. But Governor Abbott has done nothing. The Texas Health Department is still promoting it, and the Texas Medical Board destroyed Dr. Henson's practice by, you know, g- giving him um, a downgrade and dinging him for not wearing a mask. I mean, th- th- this is the problem. Everyone's like, Daniel, when did someone the president say? But, okay, so you mean to tell me that we're going to end business as usual with a 50-50 Senate and House, maybe 51% Republican, 52% in a better year, full of rhinos, full of Mitch McConnells, and Trump as president, when you have super-duper majority trifectas forever that you can't lose, I mean, maybe Trump on the ballot will challenge that assumption. We'll see. But generally, in most of these states, you can't lose. And yet, it's still like that. And there's no effort out. I'm I'm literally the only one who does this. I don't understand it. It's utterly insane. It's utterly insane. And speaking of Texas. Speaking of Texas. I wanted to get this off my chest. Because this is really important. Again, this was in my stack. I didn't get a chance to get to. And it happened earlier this year um, with this cop being persecuted in San Antonio. Very, very important case here. So we have complete anarcho-tyranny in the blue states, okay? Where if you defend yourself, if you're a cop doing the right thing, you get thrown in jail. If you're a violent career criminal, you get let out. Um, if you're white, you're guilty. If you're black, even if you are guilty, you're not guilty, right? I mean, you, you can't live there. You can't live there. So you might think, well, okay, you know, that's why we got to move to red state America. And, and we do. But as of now, I mean, we are still screwed up. Okay, make, make, make no mistake about it. You go to major cities in blue states and we are completely screwed. Completely screwed. And there's no effort to deal with this. So this is a big action item. We talked about, there's, there's several things we need to do. One thing, obviously, we need to prevent from blue state tyranny, no extradition to blue states for political crimes or unconstitutional laws. 
But we need to deal with the problem that we have the Minneapolis, Baltimore, New York, Chicago, LA dynamic in Texas. The Texas cities, particularly Austin, San Antonio, and Houston, are whacked out beyond belief because we fail to assert our control over them. There's an email sent out from Clara Gation, a mother of a cop. Now, this happened earlier in the year. I mean, well, the case happened in 2021. The court case happened earlier this year. So basically, you think Derek Chauvin, that, that's, that's Minneapolis. That's Minneapolis, right? That, that doesn't happen here. This is the Texas Derek Chauvin, the Texas Floyd case. March 2021, Alex, his name was Alex, he was dispatched to an unknown urgent call. And basically, and and this is very, very common, very, very common. You have an insanely strong, tough guy on drugs, and you get called to like a domestic situation. Okay. So it's a very tough situation because it's not like an active um, robbery shootout or something. So you just come with your guns drawn right away and shoot to kill. It's more of a domestic situation. He arrived at the address. He recognized because he was there before. Um, he had been there before and he had to fight this inhumane, in, inhumanely strong young man who was a drug user. Even with two... Other officers, it was nearly impossible to subdue him. Only a non-lethal taser worked, but not before the suspect injured an officer. So that was previously. So he knew what he was getting himself into. So on this date in March 2021, there were three other officers were dispatched. So they had a better chance. They, they, so they knew what they were up against. When Alex caught up with his fellow officers, he saw all three officers on the ground struggling to bring him under control. Alex told him to stop resisting, then grabbed his upper torso and put him on the ground. So now you had four against one. Now, Alex knew the suspect's pain tolerance was so high that fist strikes would not work. So Alex followed his training, and he might think he shot him. No, he used his police baton to get the suspect to comply. So again, went up the chain of escalation. While on the ground, the suspect continued to resist as they tried to get him in handcuffs. So Alex decided to use his non-lethal taser. Again, look, look at what he did. The taser deployment worked, and the suspect stopped resisting. The danger was over, and he was arrested. So now, remember, <laughs> so you, you thought I was going to, when I said it was a Floyd situation, you thought I'd say like another like cop fatal shooting. No, he tased him. Used the baton, tased him, over. Okay? Almost two years later, this was last year, the, the communist dog um, DA dropped, he's a Soros guy, dropped a bombshell and indicted Alex for aggravated assault. And I, I mean, I don't know if she's exaggerating with the email to fundraise, um, but says that he could be facing 99 years in prison. Now, yeah, I don't know where that comes from. It's probably unlikely, but he's being charged with aggravated assault. Folks, this is happening, and it's not just a cop thing. 
In Austin, we had the case of Daniel Perry, who was surrounded by a lynch mob BLM, shot one of them, and was sentenced to over 20 years in prison. This is happening everywhere in Texas. How do we not have a special session, particularly in Texas, but we need to preemptively do this in other states? Again, blue states are your early warning system. And then they manifest in the blue cities in the red states. That, A, there needs to be a mechanism for the state attorney general to remove local DAs. We need to start, stop seeding over your major cities to the left. If you control state government, you could control almost everything about the cities. And that's what DeSantis has been trying to do as well. That's what we need. We need to stop this business of, okay, it's generally relatively okay to live in the most rural areas of the reddest states. We can't be relegated to that. So, A, we need a bill giving the attorneys general power to remove source DAs when they do these political persecutions. They also have to have the ability to veto and countermand their indictments. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I know we wouldn't like that if the shoe was on the other foot, and, you know, red guy in a blue state, but I don't care. They're lost anyway. They'll do what they want. So we may as well control the areas we have. And number two, where things do go to trial, we need the ability to more easily automatically get an equitable jury pool from the surrounding conservative counties. Because again, the same way you can't get a fair trial in Minneapolis, you can't get a fair trial in San Antonio, particularly if you're white. So this is the type of garbage that is happening under our nose because all we have is celebrities. We don't have leaders. We don't have leaders. And by the way, you look at you know, where this is coming from, where this is headed. I don't know if you guys saw this story. Peter Cahill, the judge who sentenced Chauvin to 22 years and then had him stabbed, almost stabbed to death. He recently gave a speech at the National Judicial College saying that every case should be about racial justice. So at least he's honest. It's all about white and black. So. Floyd was black, Chauvin was white, 22 years in prison. Well, there was another thing that happened in December. A black man, Jamal Hill Moore, career criminal, stabbed and beat Meredith Martell to death. I don't know if it was a girlfriend, but she was white. A white woman killed by a black man. Okay, A million times more common, by the way, than whites killing blacks. But of course, there's no white rioting. No one will ever have heard of her name. And there's no even political movement behind Meredith Martell to actually lock up career criminals like Jamal Hill Moore. Because make no mistake about it, she should be alive. So basically, you have to understand when it comes to career criminals, as, as we've said many times, they do the same thing they're caught doing. So if they're an arsonist, you let them go. They do arson. I've seen this all the time. If they're sexual predators or rapists, that's what they do. They do the same modality all the time. If they're you know assault, aggravated assault, they do that. If they're into stealing and robbery of stores, they do that. So this guy, you know, basically he he was caught earlier in the year 
in two cases um, of domestic battery. He was charged in January 2023 for felony domestic assault in Lyon County, which is to the west. And then a month later, he was charged with felony counts of domestic assault and violation of a no-contact order in Hennepin County. Okay? And and by the way, just to uh, interject a little bit here, you know, there's a lot of talk about women's issues. The CNN wants to hold a town hall in Iowa with Nikki Haley and, and DeSantis about women's issues or Fox. No, I'm sorry. It's Fox because Fox is very conservative. This is an issue they don't want to talk about. But one of the analogs of jailbreak in our weak on crime system are domestic assault cases where people literally will beat their partner or even wife or whatever to a pulp. And they really don't get punished, and and it's very and, and then and they they you know they're they're very menacing and it's tough because you know you have to actually do something to arrest someone. So what what you do is you have a no contact order, and then if you violate that, then we could legitimately lock you up. But they they don't. It's really not enforced. Uh, and and, and there, there's a lot of even like it's not even a conservative issue. There's a lot of mainstream documentaries on this all the time of women who get killed like this. And this was another case like that. So he violated no contact order. Judge Peter Cahill let him out. So he was sentenced to 21 months in prison for both of them. And then they suspended both of them, just let out on probation. That, my friends, is Peter Cahill. That's racial justice. That's blue state America. And that's what it is now. See, this is what's very dangerous. Let, let's say we made a law, not a law, but like a culture in the justice system and politics and policy and law that Koreans and Japanese Americans are a protected class. And if they do, the, they do the crime, they don't do the time. Everyone else does, but they don't do it. All right. So it wouldn't be it would be unfair, but it wouldn't be a travesty because how many of them commit violent crimes? Right. Mormons, Orthodox Jews, uh, you know, religious Catholics, whatever. But, well, you know, black males, if you say blacks are exempt from justice because, just because, well, that's kind of a big problem because the overwhelming share of the violent crime is committed by them. And this was the entire blood libel of Floyd. Floyd was to create a blood libel that there's a bunch of whites, not just even cops, but civilians, just randomly beating up and killing blacks for no reason. And in fact, it's the other way around. As we well know, the most common crime is black on black, but let's not forget, it's not PC, but I'll say it anyway, because it's a fact, let's not forget that there is, again, most crime is intraracial, but to the extent there is interracial crime, it is almost all perpetrated by blacks. So let's be very clear about this. Let's be very, very clear. Um, this is from Heather McDonald, who is the champion of this. So even though most violent crimes, again, they're committed against members of the same race, but in 2021... 87% of all non-lethal interracial violent crimes committed between blacks and whites in the U.S. were black on white. 480,000 incidents with a black offender, 69,000 incidents with a white offender. So I, I, wanna, I want you to understand that again. 
So if you take the pie of black on white or white, meaning crimes where it involved a black and a white, one of them is the offender, one of them is the victim. 87%, okay, 87 to 13, it was the black was the offender. That's not adjusted. So I want you to understand, that's not adjusted for their share of the population. So there's five times as many whites as blacks. It's obviously diminishing every year, but you know, five to one ratio of black of whites to blacks in the general population. Yet, yet, um, you know, they are the the offenders. 87 to 13. That's simply astounding. And again, like, there's no way to get out of that. That is a hard fact. That is a hard, hard fact. Let me give you something else. CDC. Okay, we all love quoting CDC numbers, right? (laughs) CDC COVID numbers. Well, I'll give you some CDC numbers here. Homicide is the leading cause of of death. For black males under 45, you might think under 25. No, it's under, it's all the way up to the age bracket of 44. The leading cause. So, you know, they have a chart for different demographics. Usually it's um, cancer or heart disease, stroke. Certain ones is accidents. Some younger, you know, obviously like, you know, teenage whites. So it's not going to be heart disease. It will be accidents. It's homicide. See, according to CDC, the homicide rate for black males 18 to 34 is 17.7 times higher. Not percent. Times. So that's, what is that, like 1,770% than white males of the same age. White males 18 to 34. So what they like to do is they play a game. For example, in Chicago, they'll say that Blacks are 14 times more likely than whites to be shot by police. Okay? But here's the deal. Black adolescents are roughly 50 times more likely to be killed by homicide in Chicago than the national average. Of black adolescents, much less their white counterparts, who have an infinitesimal homicide rate by comparison. So, obviously, the shootings are among blacks, so police have to be brought down so they're going to be doing a police shooting in that scenario and you know 99% of the time it's justified right by the way that statistic is just people shot i mean most of the times that they're they're saving lives they're people that you know everyone would deserve need to be shot so my point is this is blue state america but it's not like red states don't have this it's increasingly in red states and if you isolate it to the big cities it's almost as bad and if you live there you're out of luck but this is part of a broader problem, whether it's crime, whether it's anarcho-tyranny, whether it's denuding people of the right to self-defense in blue cities and red states, whether it's COVID fascism. We, it's emblematic of the fact that we lack leadership. And that's why, like, I don't want to hear, oh my God, if we just win the election. The, here's the beauty. We have living, perpetual microcosms of impervious Republican control, long-term, durable, irrevocable 
Republican control of state governments. And we see what happens. Like, this is what I don't understand. So this is what's going to be our obsession. We're, we're going to focus like, like, like a laser beam on this stuff. Anyway, I, uh, as always, you know, only got to a fraction of what I wanted to get to, and we're ready almost at the end of the show. Um, I want to bring up one more point, one more disparate point on, on a totally separate issue, but it does tie into the theme of when you lack leadership of what is it we believe both in broad biblical, constitutional, legal, political theory principles, but then how to apply it in the specific way, the specific time, on the important issues, important legislative agendas, important executive governance agendas. That's what we do here. We don't have that. And and that's what we're trying to do single-handedly, and I wish I had more time. But part of that is that once you don't have that, you have a series of false choices. So you have one wing of the Republican Party or the or, or the fake right pushing stupidity on one end of the spectrum. And then the other people are rightfully upset about it. And then they go in the opposite direction. And they're just all, we talk about this reactionary politics. And as we, we talked about a lot, you know, since the attacks on Israel, October 7th, the issue of Israel brings this out perfectly. So it's like, the false choice that we're being presented with is are you Nikki Haley or Tucker Carlson? Are you Israel's more important than America and all I care about is Israel, Israel, Israel. America sh- should like lick their boots, you know, just symbolically like emotionally indulge them, turn them into another Ukraine, just always always emoting about other people not focused on Americans. Or should we start hating on Israel and siding with the PLO Arab animals and not recognize that we're fighting the same battles for civilization? You know, no. I mean, our our view is we should focus on America, let them do what they need to do, give them the diplomatic cover, certainly not, not get in their way as the Biden administration is doing, stop funding their enemies, you know, as we're doing, um, and uh, and they'll be better off and we'll be better off and, you know, we need to learn the lesson and 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 not let in the same Islamists that are attacking them into our country. Okay, so it's pro-Israel, you know, especially for those, um, most of you are Christians and believe in, uh, you know, those who bless Israel will be blessed, those who curse Israel will be cursed. You fulfill that, but, you know, you don't have to give the impression to people that you care more about them than America. No, I mean, it, it works together. So Nikki Haley gets up there, and she gives the worst sort of presentation for those who want to be pro-Israel in a sane way. And she says on Twitter, Israel's a bright spot in a tough neighborhood. All right, well, that's that's fine. Then she says it has never been that Israel needs America. It has always been that America needs Israel. Like, whoa, okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't need to you don't need to say that. Like that what? What does that even mean? So then rightfully the Tucker crowd's gonna get turned off, and then they go in their direction. And this is the problem when we don't have legitimate leadership. You get false choices where you're either this or if you're not that, you're a rhino. So then now anyone who just like go Israel, you know, g- you know, give them the support they need, you know, you do your thing, not get in your way. Oh no, no, that's 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 a globalist or like we know what? 
you know, most things in life are not a spectrum. It's a circle. You come full circle. It's just all sorts of false choices. And this is basically what we have. We have a conservative media that's either mindless, aimless, or French revolutionist. We have a Republican Party that is still mainly Nikki Haley. Right? I mean, Nikki, Nikki Haley is the predominant prevailing view. And then we're just caught with nothing. But it's not like we don't have someone who eschews both as a leader. It's not like we don't have that. And if you are in Iowa, and if you are close to Iowa, it's worth the next week and a half to help organize. I'll end with this. The bottom line is, the beauty of Iowa is there's no early voting, and you don't even have early voting the same day. You don't even have ongoing voting that you could create. Oh, a narrative, Trump's going to win. No. It's all a matter of who shows up in basically a 45-minute window at night, in the evening. Right? There's no ongoing polling that you could uh, you know, go and vote. It's a meeting at a specific time. You have to show up then. You listen to speeches. Everyone presents on behalf of their candidate. By the way, Trump doesn't even have speakers in most of the precincts. DeSantis has in every single one. And and and, and then you cast your vote. The notion that, I'm not, I don't know what will happen, but the notion that it's not within our reach to at least fight for a win is simply not true. It is worth your time. It is worth your time. Now, I don't know what is true. Here's, I'm not going to spend the next week on this because I just don't think it's worth it. We'll find out and we'll adjust our you know, goals based on that. But it's not much of an adjustment because honestly, unlike the Trump people, I'm going to be fighting for the same other buckets down the ballot primaries, state legislative agenda, federal budget fight, and all the ways we can make a difference regardless of whether DeSantis wins or not. Um, But I will say, one of two things is true, and they both can't be true. The DeSantis Super PAC says that they have 50,000 hard-signed pledges to caucus for DeSantis. It might be up to 60,000 from what I heard from one person. And then you have the polls that show Trump up, you know, uh, 48, 20, something like that. Okay, you know, somewhere in that ballpark, give or take. They both can't be true. I think everyone agrees at this point that those who originally said there would be a record turnout are wrong. There's just no engagement, record low engagement. So it's certainly not going to be a higher turnout. If you would just take the 2016 numbers, which was a record turnout at the time, 60,000 commitments would be enough for DeSantis to downright win. Forget Forget about overperforming based on the polls, to downright win. So I don't know which one is right, but they both can't be right. I don't want to sit and give false hope. I don't know. I don't know enough. A lot of us don't have a good, clear read. I don't think anyone does. It's very murky. There's a lot of weird things. From a political science perspective, we'll find out. But unlike the Trump people, 
I have a plan. My plan is not, oh my gosh, DeSantis. Well, what if he doesn't win, right? Could all be over January 15th. We have the same plan. But it is reflective. The divide at the presidential level is unfortunately reflective of those who are willing to focus on the other things or not. Those who want to pick some sort of just, oh yeah, this guy agrees with me on one issue. Joe Rogan's my new my new Bible or Elon Musk and all these people. We need grounded leaders who will not bend in the wind. And, you know, we kind of found one. No one's perfect. We'll never idolize him like the other people do Trump. We'll always push him to the right. But you got to create an environment that, you know, sustains the guy at the top to do that, right? You can't just push someone into oncoming traffic. You know, like I could say every governor needs to immediately arrest every FBI agent. But is that realistic? I mean, you got to you got to build up strategic plays to to you know interpose in a way that that's feasible. You can't go from zero to a hundred and say, "Oh, you know, you're a cuck if you don't do every last thing I ever thought of," even though you did so much good relative to anyone else. This is what it is. All all I'm gonna tell you is, I don't know if I'm gonna get anywhere, but I'm gonna try. But just know, if we don't succeed in doing any of these ideas that I talk about, it's not because we couldn't. It's because we wouldn't. It's not because of the left. We have met the enemy, and it is us. So folks, really glad to be back. Real productive week for our first week. Sign up for conaction.network to be part of one of our red state teams. If you want to be a team leader in some of the states, let me know. We sure could use them. Um, even the ones that were, we we already have leaders, they would love to have a co-captain um, because it's you know it, it, we need more division of labor. I'm telling you, if you get a group of ten of you who listen to my show sitting down to work a few issues in some of these states, you'd be shocked at what you could expose and then you know achieve. So that's where we're at. Hope you guys have a terrific, family-oriented, godly weekend. God bless you all. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again Monday, same time, same place.